Welcome to the Global Digital Banker. My name is Adele Grissart and this is RFI Group's Inside Back podcast focused on key trends, thought leadership and best practice within the fast-growing and dynamic world of digital banking. This week we're at Money 2020 Europe and we'll be recording interviews live from Amsterdam. Money 2020 is arguably one of the biggest finance events of the year where thought leaders, innovators, and visionaries come together from across the world to discuss the future of money across payments, banking, and fintech. On day one of the event, we spoke with Pat Patel, Content Director, Money 2020 Europe and Asia, and Ken, Vice Chairman, Mastercard, Ralph Hammers, CEO, ING Group, Rajesh Agrawal, Deputy Mayor of London for Business, and Maximilian Tyntor, co-founder and CFO for the number 26. And here is what they have to say. I'm joined by Pat Patel. We're here to talk all about Money 2020. And Pat is the person behind all of the content of the events Europe and Asia. Let's talk about what some of the big key themes are for Money 2020 Europe this year. Sure. You know, as you can imagine, we cover a number of topics within banking and payments, as well as kind of the tech scene and retail commerce. It's pretty much A to Z of those topics. But if I was to pick out a few of the key ones, I'd certainly say conversational commerce. That is something that's picking up a lot of traction. Mm. And we'll have an announcement from Amazon on site. And we'll have MasterCard talking about it from their perspective, so the payments perspective coming in which will be quite interesting. And then there'll be a few other companies within kind of the pure retail space that will be talking about some of their experiments. Outside of that, we'll have a big topic around what some of the platform companies are doing, in Mm. particular those from the Far East. So the likes of Tencent with their WeChat Pay platform and obviously Alibaba via Amp Financial. So they will have two speakers that will be on the main stage and they'll be talking about the concept of the rise of these super apps and how it's blurring the lines between a consumer's social life, retail life and financial life. And when you start to kind of bring those three areas together, it becomes a really compelling proposition. Mm. And I think one of the damning things about this is that It has massive implications for banks, retail banks and and traditional retailers, because if you can do all of your everyday needs via one app, then it reduces the need to be able to go into a bank branch or actually use traditional banking services or even the way you shop because you can do it via one super app. Mm. So that will be covered in some level of detail, certainly on day one. And then we have Tencent and Amp Financial speaking on the last day. So it should be quite compelling. Other areas, I would say the topic around collaboration. So there's been a lot of discussion over the last few years. uh, And it's an overused word, certainly between banks and fintechs. But we're starting to see in 2018 real value coming through. And I think you'll start to, certainly on site, there'll be a number of announcements that play to this. Great. But there'll be a number of case studies which actually bring to life what one plus one equals three, Mm. essentially. And so that's what we've tried to do and spread that across the agenda and, you know, try and move beyond the headlines. That's really what Money 2020 is about. Other areas, I think I would say, you know, naturally the PSD2 and Open Bank, that will be discussed. And while there hasn't been a great deal of real movement and change, it's the start of something that could be broader. 
I mean, you certainly named some of the big brands there around the globe that the more traditional incumbent banks are looking towards and, and sort of wondering what they're going to be do next. So that's going to be very interesting. Yeah. And I think absolutely it's really about understanding in detail how these collaborations are working and how much value they're bringing to the ecosystem at large, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And, you know, some of the, the banks in particular, BBVA, you know, their presence is anchored around how they're moving to being a data-driven organization, something they refer to as smart interactions with yeah. their customers. And so their whole presence from Carlos, the CEO, speaking on the main stage to their open talent competition, which will be held in one of our stages, will be anchored around those two topics and they'll weave in a number of the startups that they're working with as well. And mm. for me, BBVA are probably one of the front runners in how they collaborate with a number of the startups and how they start to think about their long-term strategy and, and how that could be successful in the future. Mm. And so you mentioned collaboration, obviously been a big topic for a mm. number of years, but this contextual commerce piece and also the impacts of, of new regulations across Europe are obviously the two big challenges that potentially weren't discussed last year as much. So are you surprised by the speed of change since putting together the content for last year? Absolutely. I think we did cover the PSD2 in, in some level of detail last year. And mm. I think this year it's it's going to be more around some of the unusual kind of products and services that are leveraging this AP developer platforms. Um, so we'll start to see some of those pieces and the discussion around will there be a PSD3 because the PSD2 didn't quite meet the needs of what it was originally intended to do. Mm. So, so that conversation will start to occur. And I think... That will also accelerate some of the partnership conversations as well that will happen on site. Mm. And you mentioned Tencent and Alibaba being present on site. So yeah. they're really leading in the payments field coming out of Asia. So, yeah, we, you know, we definitely look to, to those guys for partly the payments piece, but I think more the broader everyday lifestyle products. Mm. So I'm not sure if you've seen the Alipay wallet. You can do pretty much A to Z of things from booking taxis to your travel to leisure and, and the payment's just embedded into that experience more than anything else. And you can do your saving products in there as well. You can have kind of stored value accounts. So I would say that over in, obviously in Europe, we have wallet products that you may use maybe once or twice a day. There isn't a strong desire or need to be able to go into that wallet multiple times a day. And I think in, in China, naturally, because the environment's different, they've managed to crack that. So people mm. are living their lives. And if we kind of switch across to what Tencent are doing with WeChat, it's your social life. And they've just added the financial services layer on top, as well as the payments piece. Mm. And you can buy products and services as well. So if we were to look at that convergence piece and simplicity and ease of use, then you, you can look no further than what, what these guys are doing in China because I don't think there's anyone close to doing it um, anywhere else in the world. Mm, they have staggering figures in terms of customers that are using their services. I think in Europe, it's almost like a an arms race to see who's going to be leading the drive on that one. And if it's possible, who, who knows if yeah. it's you know that whole notion of your retail, social, financial life coming together, is that something that Europe wants? Yeah. And is it across the generations as well? Because yeah. Asia, you've got the same mobile usage mm -hmm. from 18 to 80. Whereas yeah. in Europe, you just don't get that consistent trend across the generations, right? Yeah, absolutely. People are wedded to you know a, a strong infrastructure that's been in place for many years. Yeah. So why would certain individuals change? You know, If you're used to using card products, 
that's your behavioral desire. And if you're used to using checks, although that's fading away, that's the way you will pay for certain types <laughs> of, of items. Mm. So what are some of the particular sessions that you're looking forward to? Sure. So I think if we looked at the main stage, um, we have a suite of anchors leading the way on day one. So I would like to see them as the innovators within the bank. So yeah. the CEO of BBVA, mm-hmm. the CEO of ING, so Ralph Hammers, and the Group Chief Operating Officer of HSBC, that's Andy McGuire. So they'll be talking quite a bit around either the data interactions piece, but how their view of the world is and what they're looking to do over the coming years. There'll be a couple of announcements that come across from these senior bankers, so that'll be quite interesting. Mm. Quite grateful to have Steve Wozniak come along. Mm. So he'll be speaking on day one. That actually brings me to a point that we have a, a suite with the AI deep dives in which we're bringing a number of the domain experts and some of the big showbiz names together to really discuss the future of artificial intelligence and its application in financial services. And outside of that, an unusual one, we have uh, Antonio Banderas. Yes. So so he sits on a board of a biometrics company. He's a brand ambassador for BioCryptology. They'll be on a panel together or a fireside chat together. And we've managed to bring David Birch to talk about identity. Outside of that, on the main stage, obviously I mentioned Am Financial and Tencent. Um, we also have an ethical hacker called Ralph Echemendia. And he's done a number of gigs for uh, NASA and Google around security. Um, and then bring a lot of the um, innovation labs from around Europe to come in and do a little takeover and share their thoughts on new products and services that they're working on and their approach to innovation. So that one will be very, very interesting. So there's, there's going to be plenty of content uh, <laughs> to, to choose from. And I think, you know, we're close to 500 speakers wow. across three days. And, uh, and much diversity as well, which I think is what Money 2020 really brings in its richness of content and just the diversity of people that you hear from. Uh, it's a fantastic lineup this year. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And it's a circus theme as well. Just thought I'd maybe close with a fun question. Yeah, sure. If you were in a circus, mm-hmm. what would your role be? I think I'd be sitting at the back somewhere. Um, just <laughs> Quietly sure, spectating. Yeah, just making sure everything's going well. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think people would expect me to be the ringmaster, but that's my jam. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I would be the one that would be doing some of the planning beforehand. Yeah. And then just enjoy it as the show unfolds. Thanks so much for sharing those thoughts with us today, Pat. Thank you very much, Sarah. Sarah Holland-Ted here from the Global Digital Banker at Money 2020, Monday morning. Super pleased to be joined by Anne Ken, who has just been promoted to Vice Chair of Mastercard. So thanks so much for joining me, Anne. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And so you are presenting a bit later on today, and you're talking about conversational commerce. So can you give us a bit of a sneak peek, um, (laughs) or for the listeners that can't make it, into what you'll be sharing? Well, I mean, it's started to be a very big trend in America now. I think there's one in five people in Europe that are using it. And we expect it to really accelerate in the next couple of years. And I think the big question is, when you start buying things that way, how do you ensure that you're using something that's very a trusted way of paying? 
And that's what Mastercard's thinking about. Yeah. And what are some of the barriers, do you think, to this voice-activated payments? Because that's what you're talking about with conversational commerce, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, obviously, there's some technological barriers today. Are things linked up properly? Um, is the other voice recognition systems working well? But I think all of those things can be overcome. It's really more, much more thinking about the flow. How do you ensure that the consumer is safe and secure when they're using this? Yeah. And their kids aren't randomly ordering stuff. <laughs> by accident. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> and so there's so much happening in the payment space in terms of innovation. How do you make sure you're staying relevant in this busy space? Well, I think one of the ways you stay relevant is really to work with the whole startup community. Yeah. And the great thing for MasterCard is that we're a very big network and we can connect into startups around the world and allow them to piggyback on this fabulous infrastructure that we have. And that really helps us stay at the cutting edge. Yeah. And you've had a fantastic career globally, so really looked at a lot of markets and MasterCards operating around the world. Where do you think Europe fits in terms of payments? Where is it leading? Where is it lagging behind? I think there's no doubt Europe is leading in contactless. Yeah. I mean, you just you and I probably use the London Underground every day. Yeah. I heard that London Transport published something saying 70 million journeys a week across taxis, across buses, across trains are happening now in, in London alone. Yeah. Uh, and so we're seeing just an incredible rise in that. And of course, once you start tapping to go through just public transport, yeah. then you start using it to buy and a coffee a and it's yeah. habit forming. Um, and that's spreading across the whole of Europe. Um, Poland have just actually raised their limit now to 100 slotties for a contactless oh. payment. And I think as those limits get raised, you can use contactless more and more. Um, we've seen that in Australia. It's been a $100 there, which means you can buy a good basket of groceries yeah. and then it just becomes everyday living. Is that limiting potential further innovation in Europe because contactless is so ubiquitously used? Um, I don't think so because I think that people will move from one innovation to another if it adds value to them. Um, and I think while contactless is fantastic, what you will see is people using mobile and the reason is data. Yeah. They'll want to see the data of what's on their account, information and so on. And they'll also want to control their data and that's what all the new privacy laws yes. are about. Yeah. yeah. So on that, regulation is obviously a big thing here. What do you think are going to be some of the big themes that come out of Money 2020 this year? I think it'll be the privacy law. I think it'll be things like open banking. Yeah. For sure, artificial intelligence, blockchain, biometrics, and then back to things like tokenization in the payments world, how to really make the consumer safe, secure, in charge of their lives. Yeah. I think that will be the overall theme. Well, super excited to see how the next few days unfold and for your session later on. just want to close off with a question. So the theme of Money 2020 is circus this year. So we're asking everybody this. If you were part of the circus or if Mastercard was part of a circus, what role would that be? Well, you know, I absolutely love Hugh Jackman. So I have to say <laughs> that I think it would be Ringmaster. And also because, look, it just goes so great with our brand. Oh, beautiful colouring, beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today, Anne. Thank you. Ralph Palmer, CEO of ING Direct, thank you so much for your time. Here we are, Money 2020 in Amsterdam. I'd love to just start with your view on the rise of fintech, and I guess we're in the hometown of, of ING. Yeah, so we're very happy to have Money 2020 here right in Amsterdam, where you know ING originates from. And as you know, with ING Direct, uh, we basically started the first fintech. At that moment, we didn't know what fintechs were. 
But that's what we are, and that's the fintech of all Alatra, and that's what we have been doing over many years, including Australia, by the way, and successfully so. Uh, but what you now see is that on the back of uh, digital and on the back of the smartphone, you see even more technology coming through, and so more opportunities to look at how to apply technology to deliver a differentiating experience. And that is the key for banks going forward. Absolutely. Some of the most exciting trends that you've seen across, well, I guess today at, at yeah. Money 2020? Well, clearly you see a lot of this fintechs active from the payments perspective. And although in the last couple of years they were very much focused on payments and on onboarding, now you see a lot of them also focusing on fraud and fraud detection and all of that. So there is a new development there that is connected to that. And uh, I think we all welcome that. Absolutely. We've seen so much in, in the rise of technology as well, and I guess people's expectation of technology. How are you really meeting the expectation that customers want from their bank with the technology overlay and all those advancements that we're seeing? Yeah, basically, you should not be too much focused on the technology itself. You really have to make sure that you know very well what you want. And we've said when we launched our strategy, our Think Forward strategy five years ago, that what we aim at is delivering a differentiating experience to our customers. Now, if you look at the current customers, their expectations go along with what they are used to from the big techs. And these big techs and fintechs, they deliver a, a, an experience that is personal, instant, relevant, and seamless. And that is what the expectation is. So if they deal with a bank on a mobile or on the web, they expect nothing less from what they get from the Amazons and the Ubers of these worlds. So you have to make sure you get there. Yeah, absolutely competitive times. The Neo banks, we're hearing so much from the Starlings, the Atoms, all of the other, Fedor number 26. How much of a threat are those disruptive players? Is there room for you all in the market? There is always room in the market, clearly. And I think that what is good is that we see real competition coming up. Competition from the big techs, but then also from these Neo banks, as you mentioned. Them. We actually play in that ourselves as well. We launched YALT, which is an aggregating facility across different banks. And I think what these neo banks do very well is they build from scratch. Mm. And if you build from scratch, you have no legacy. <laughs> so you don't have to take any of your customers along or any of the expectations that is with your current customers along into the future. And you can start all new. And that's what we did with ING Direct as well. So I recognize their potential, uh, but it takes a long time before you get any size and get any scale. Uh, so to a certain extent, they're a threat. To a large extent, they're also an opportunity to collaborate with. Yeah, well, the collaboration piece is really interesting. Yolt, I love that you've mentioned Yolt. What are your big hopes and aspirations with Yolt? And also talk to me about open banking and how you're feeling about that coming into the market. Yeah, so in my view, if you really want to stay connected to your customers, uh, you have to recognize that your customers really spend their lives on their mobile. Whether they're waiting in Starbucks for a coffee, they don't talk to each other anymore. They're all on their mobile. So if they're on their mobile to buy stuff, to post stuff, to rate a restaurant that they went and visited last night, you have to make sure you stay connected there. And from there on, you build your ecosystem and your platform. In order to be successful then as a bank, you either have to be connected into these ecosystems or you have to build a name for yourself that is so different. Now, if you want to build a name for yourself going forward so that these customers actually get out of the ecosystem and deal with you, you need to be open. What do I mean with that? If you're true to deliver a differentiating service to your customer, you have to have an open relationship with that customer and offer products 
that are not necessarily yours. Mm. If you can service a need of your customer and it's not your product that is the best to service that customer, you'll have to be offer and uh, re-offering a third-party service mm. there as well. And it could be of a competitor bank. Yeah, yeah, a competitive bank or another product. But if you're helping your customer in the end game, surely that's a win-win for everybody. It's a win for you for suggesting that other provider and then obviously Absolutely. for your customer. Absolutely. So and the first thing that we all have to realize is that banking does not serve a primary need. It's always a secondary need. People want to eat and therefore they need to pay. People want to buy a book, therefore they need to pay. People want to buy a car, that's why they need a loan. We're secondary, so either you make sure you're part of that chain or you specialize in what you do very well. Absolutely, it's, you don't want to spend the money, you just want the, want the product or service. Exactly. <laughs> At the end exactly. of the day. ING in Australia has had some absolutely astronomical statistics of late. Do you want to talk through those and how, how you're seeing such success in that market? Yeah, so basically the, the, the good thing about Australia is that we see that some of the other banks are very much at the forefront of digitalization and technology as well. So the market is used to it. Now, what we offer actually is, uh, is a service that is completely different from the other banks, using the expectations of these customers already, but we, we've built it from scratch. So we don't have the legacy that some of our competitors have, and we can really build on that. But we're growing, we have more than two million customers right now. We have half a million of primary customers as we speak. We have a million of Orange Everyday accounts. So we're running up this business very quickly. We're very successful and very pleased with that. Yeah, and happy customers at that also, I hear. That's what we measure all the time. So if you're true and you're truly interested in, in servicing your customer and delivering a differentiated experience, you have to measure what you do. Uh, so we continuously measure what we call the Net Promoter Score. Because if a client is willing to recommend your service to their friend or to their family, that's what the Net Promoter Score does, then you're winning. And that's what we see. We're leading in Net Promoter Score, and we've been number one for a long time, and we're leading by 22 points in Australia. So we've got some, some future there. Absolutely fantastic. Congratulations. One more question from me. Sure. Innovation. I love talking to, to people such as yourself about where you look to for innovation. Where around the world should we be looking? What industries? Is it, you know, is it financial services? Is it retail? Is it hospitality? Where, where do you look for that you see really innovative and interesting things occurring that, that impress you and you think that's something to watch? Well, honestly, it can be anywhere and it can be in any sector. But given the fact that we're a bank, we all have to realize that our service is on one side a commodity, products have become a commodity, and it's prone to digitization, right? Money is not something tangible to begin with. So clearly you always have to look at technology firms, consumer-oriented uh, activities that use technology in order to be inspired. It could really be anywhere in the world. Most of the ideas came originally from Silicon Valley, but we also see that the Asian markets are perfecting them in terms of implementation, and they just go the extra mile. So it's very inspiring to also look at Australia uh, and Asia all together for inspiration for us in different places. Fantastic, well thank you so much. You're welcome. Sarah Hollinshead here from the Global Digital Banker. Really pleased to be joined by Rajesh Agrawal, who's Deputy Mayor of London for Business. Thank you so much for joining me today, Rajesh. Thank you very much. Great to uh, talk to you. You're here representing the London fintech scene, which is fantastic. So tell me more about sort of what you're hoping to get out of the event and, and why you want to be promoting London as something so special. 
Well, fintech is one of the fastest growing areas in London. Of course, I'm here representing London as somebody who comes from a fintech background. It's a, it's a great joy. Uh, fintech is built on the core strength of London, which is banking and financial services. And when you combine banking and financial services with technology, fintech emerges and London is the global fintech capital. We have got huge number of fintech firms. It's, it's a natural advantage. And what we have also seen in last couple of years that the investment going in London fintech ecosystem uh, has more than doubled actually in 2017 compared to 2016. Wow. So it's a fast growing industry. And I believe that we are only still scratching the surface. Yeah. I mean, it all started with uh, payments, didn't it? And, I myself come come from a payments background, which I a company that I founded in 2005, long before the word fintech actually existed, <laughs> and long before it was cool. <clears throat> but it's moved on from payments while payments are still happening. But you know, within fintech, we've got insurance tech, for example, we've got regulatory rec tech, yeah. uh, and many other dimensions. So I think we are only warming up. It's fantastic to have you here representing as well, as you said, as an ex-entrepreneur working in that fintech space. And so here you're joined by a lot of incredible entrepreneurs and some fantastic fintech companies. So what are some of the areas of innovation across the companies that you're here with? There are some fantastic companies uh, we have with us here. One of the reasons why in London fintech uh, has done so well is because of very progressive regulator in FCA. And we've got a couple of firms with us who are specializing in rec tech, uh, providing regulatory technologies to uh, financial institutions uh, and banks. Very innovative solution. One of the other companies I was literally just talking to, uh, they specialize in making cryptocurrency uh, transactions more secure and making sure that it's all legit and doing the right kind of KYC and bringing the AML aspect to cryptocurrency transactions, which is hugely important, I think. And then uh, there's another company with us who specialize in bringing instant messaging to the banking and financial services because apps like WhatsApp and WeChat and uh, Telegram and so on. We, we are using that for all sorts of reasons, yeah. all sorts of purposes. So why not use that for banking? But of course, it's not recorded. It has got its own challenges. And that company has actually come up with this innovative solution to be able to do your banking on WhatsApp. Yeah. Well, not that I'm biased, but I love that London's represented so well. <laughs> and uh, I know it's early days, Monday morning, but what do you think are some of the biggest themes that are going to come out of Money 2020 this year? Well, I think uh, Monday 2020 uh, here keeps on getting bigger and bigger every year. I think one of the clear things that's uh, coming out this year is around sort of cyber security because fintech is all about transaction and dealing with people's money. And as such, security is paramount. And a lot of solutions, innovative solutions, are around making the transactions more secure because there are I'm a fintech enthusiast and and a champion but there are a lot of uh, skeptics out there as well and I think the theme this year uh, be very very clear around that Mm. circus theme this year at money 2020 if you yourself or perhaps London was to play a role in a circus what do you think it would be Oh, gosh, that is a very difficult question. I think uh, uh, London is more about, uh, uh, London is leading the way, I think, it's to a certain extent uh, with 
the great innovation uh, i think is the uh, role of a sort of ringmaster myself i think i'm more like a tight rope walker <laughs> because i'm between government and business and i'm trying to walk this tight rope and sometimes <laughs> i lean towards the government sometimes i lean towards the business uh, but it's great fun that's fantastic thank you so much for joining me today rajesh you're very welcome thank you Sarah Hollandside here from the Global Digital Banker podcast. Really pleased to be joined by Max Tyantal, co-founder and CFO for N26. So thanks so much for joining me today, Max. Happy to be here. Today, really exciting. You just announced that you have more than 1 million customers and you're one of the fastest growing banks in Europe. So what is your key to success, would you say? I think when we like founded N26, we wanted to bring a product to the people which is simple, which is easy to use, and which is transparent, like a product that's very different to what traditional banks are offering and we have seen from the beginning a tremendous interest from customers because there's massive shift in user behavior and at the same time the offerings of the traditional banks is just super super poor resembles very much the internet of the 1990s yeah. much more than a modern uh, product which is suited to the needs of the customer. And you're here talking about the connection between Europe and China actually quite specifically. You've recently received investment from Tencent so you have that connection with China. Tell us a bit of a sneak peek into what you're going to be talking about later on between the interplay of China and Europe. Thinking about Tencent investment, uh, they co-led our Series C together with uh, the Allianz and I wouldn't know exactly what's, what's the strategy for, for Europe, but I couldn't say like whether they eventually will also come like with a more massive presence in Europe, but how we understood their investment rationale for them, it's really about backing global winners in Europe, in the US, and leveraging their vast experience from China. I think uh, what was all a little bit title is uh, Europe the play field for China. Yeah. I think that's a bit more difficult because if you look at, uh, at a lot of what's happening there in FinTech, to see that China is a bit more advanced even than Europe in many aspects. And I was in a session earlier actually where <laughs> it was a multiple choice question as to how many merchants can accept Alipay in Europe at the moment, or it might have been in the UK, and it was 900,000, which nobody guessed. It was so much higher than everyone thought. So should European financial institutions be scared of these tech giants that are coming out of Asia, like Alipay? I think um, it is new players emerging. I think what's much more closer is uh, Payment Service Directive. Yeah. I think that's definitely going to change the way how people are, are like uh, paying their, their bills and how people are paying in e-commerce. And how are you engaging with that? There has been a lot of discussion around PSD2. Uh, I think a couple of banks are worried about it. N26 welcomes PSD2 in every dimension. One, because when we're building our systems, we already knew about it. And for us, uh, getting compliant, it's, it's a matter of developer days, it's not like, as I said, uh, like the IT budget of the next three years. Two, I think what also was the idea behind PST2, less, less integrating like the front end from the back end, and N26 stands for probably the most intuitive user experience on the European market, mm. and I think it's very unlikely that N26 customers are going to access their N26 account through the Sparkasse interface, but I think it's an opportunity for us, then it goes the other way around, and I think three um, it just makes the transition of a customer from one bank to the other more easy. We can uh, show the customer like the transaction history of the old account and we can, for example, use the transaction history for credit scoring and so on. Mm. So European financial institutions should be scared of you rather than Asian companies? And like in categories of growth and categories of where are they going to lose the customers to, I think N26 definitely become 
very relevant here. Mm. And what are some of the themes that you're most excited about at this event? What are some of the conversations you're most looking forward to having? I think it's, it's everything around building platforms over mm. N26. We, uh, in that regard, we are not so different from traditional banks. We want to become the primary partner of the customer and financial matters. And we don't believe in building everything ourselves. We are open. If there's a very good solution in the market, for example, TransferWise, across currency transfers, we integrate it with them. It's also a game where size matters or numbers matter a lot. Yeah. And it's a peer-to-peer model. They're matching people from the UK that want to buy US dollars and people from the US that want to buy like British pounds. But for like other products, we just build them uh, ourselves. But I think this unbundling of financial services, what we've seen in the last 20 years, and the rebundling we're seeing around platform, I think it's a very exciting trend. And to close off, we've got a big circus theme here at Money 2020 this year. Um, so if you were to describe yourself or N26 as a particular role within a traditional circus, what would it be? I think um, we, w- we would compare ourselves with the, with the juggler, you know, actually starting with fewer balls. At the beginning, you know, it's regulations, being balanced, with user experience. Whenever you feel kind of secure with the number of juggling balls you're using, you're adding like one more and additional dimension, like adding new products and adding new features for the benefit of the customer. Amazing. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today, Max. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the episode this week. Be sure to tune in tomorrow to hear all from day two of Money 2020 Europe. To view the show notes from this episode, head to globaldigitalbanker.com. To get in touch with us, check out our Instagram, Global Digital Banker, Twitter at GDB Podcast, or on Facebook under Global Digital Banker Podcast. If you're interested in being a part of the show or would like to let us know what you think of this episode, email us at gdbpodcast at rfigroup.com.